This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Yeah, I'm excited for this passage. There is, man, just a lot of the glory and majesty of Jesus himself um, in this part of Scripture. Uh, This is, uh, I don't want to let this Bible go because it's like my first one after uh, being converted. And so like, I haven't, I've had it for like over 10 years now. I need a new one and I've already glued it back together a few times, but I just can't. I'm like sentimental about it. And um, I bracketed uh, this section a long time ago and just put like Jesus, you know, like this is uh, an academic term. This is is high Christology. Um, In the less academic term, like if you want to know how awesome Jesus is, these are the good verses to go to. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's sort of been the like go-to place to see the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of Jesus himself. So I'm excited that we get to uh, break uh, this down a little bit, kind of get to dwell on his glory and his majesty and his beauty uh, and the implications of that. So we're going to see the implications of that, um, hopefully. That's, at least that's the plan. So let me... Pray for us, and then we'll jump into this um, pretty awesome passage of Scripture about who Jesus is. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you that you have revealed yourself in the eternal image of your Son. Lord, thank you that as broken, finite creatures, you reveal the beauty, wonder, and glory of your being to your creation, Lord. Thank you that that's done primarily uh, and most wonderfully in the person of your son. Lord, as we come before a passage that has um, just the, the mysteries of the Trinity, the wonder of creation, the, the work of redemption, Lord, everything and anything we could even begin to imagine and things we cannot imagine come from and are for the glory and majesty of your Son. Lord, I pray as we are impressed by you through your Spirit, through your Spirit making your Son known, I pray that we would genuinely believe that Jesus is the King worth serving. So many things, Lord, we desire to serve, um, whether it's ourselves or, or those around us, but you have given us the King of glory and majesty, the only King worth serving, Lord. So I pray that that would be on the forefront of our minds today and as we go from here. So I thank you for this time. Thank you for today. In your name I pray, amen. So yeah, that's kind of where we're going. If you want to um, write something in your little notebooks, uh, if you're the note taker type, uh, and also this is the sentence that hopefully keeps me a little grounded as we walk uh, through the passage. We're talking about Jesus, the king worth serving. Jesus, the king worth serving. And I thought about that, and uh, it's like those are not concepts. uh, Like, we don't have a king, you know? Um, We we, uh, we have a very different political system on purpose. Um, We don't, 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 like, know what it's like to go before a king, uh, whether good or bad. Um, so it's just sort of a it's sort of a little bit abstract for us when we talk talk about Jesus, the the King we're serving, and and so in my head I was like, well, what are uh, what is something? Wh- who is someone that like if they say jump, I say how high? 
or if I'm wrestling with something that's difficult, I go to this person um, for help or for security or for or something that's certain, or uh, or maybe someone that that even like dictates how my life goes and like what does that look like? What do I do today? What do I do tomorrow? And I was trying to think of these like sort of abstract ideas around a king, and like well, what who is the king in my life? And the thing I came up with was this, because pretty much dictates everything about my day. And if it buzzes, I check it. If, it, if I am stressed out, I will open it up and kind of scroll on it. Uh, and then I was like, well, that doesn't really make any sense. Why do I go to uh, the phone and sort of feels like the ruler and authority in my life? I was like, the short answer kind of to that is it makes me feel better. Like it's so that I can rule and reign. Like I can organize all of my stuff on that. I can check my bank account on that. I can order food on that. I can get information on that. I can distract myself on that. And I was like, at, at the end of the day, the reason why we kind of jump and go to our phones is because it's actually something that helps serve myself. It helps serves me. That's why we like these things so much. That's why they sell so well. And this idea that we're self-serving the idea that we want to serve ourselves in all things. We want to put ourselves up as king. I like to say I am the king we're serving. Is actually a, a central idea behind what Jesus did on the cross. It's actually a central idea that that is a problem that Jesus, as the, the majesty and glory that we look at in Colossians, is working to fix. Is this reality that I am at the, at the, at the heart of everything. I am very self-serving. And I thought uh, Corinthians 5 was a good sort of just biblical. So you don't take my word for it. We can see what scripture says. 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, thanks, Josh, for correcting me. It was not verse 114. Um, so he corrected that on the slides. Um, verse 14 says, for the love of Christ controls us. So we're now we're, we're serving Christ. He is the king that controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore we have all died. And he kind of unpacks this idea that we die to self. We die to the rule of our, our self-rule. And he explains it in summary form here in verse 15. He says, and he who died, and he died for all. Why? Why did he do that? That those who live may no longer live for themselves. Yes, Lord. This is why he died on the cross. He died on the cross that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but who, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In another way, Paul is saying, you are not a king worthy of serving. I, self, I am not a king worthy of serving. Jesus is the only king worthy of serving. Amen. He is the only one worthy of reorienting my entire life around. And the, and the sad reality is because of the fall, because of our hearts, because of indwelling sin in the world, we are dead set on serving ourselves. And at the root of it is because we think we're worthy of serving. So the only thing then that can draw us away from that is to show us that there's a better king. There's someone much, much, much more worthy of serving. And so I like what Paul says. And if you look in your little notebooks right before this section in verse 13... He says he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So he's saying he has actually transferred us into this kingdom. 
This is where we get the idea of a king. A kingdom has subjects and in, in a, a potentate. Is that how you say that word? A king, someone, you should know, Jesse. You helped me with words. Um, potent, right? Is that the potent? Yeah, okay. There we go. I should have just stuck with king. <laughs> subjects and a king. We'll go with that. Um, don't do new words on the fly. Um, we are in this kingdom now, so we have a king, and we serve this king. And so Paul goes off in this next section that, that was just read for us to tell us about why this king is worthy of serving. Paul is like, Paul is, and he will go on to then talk about our role as how we serve him. But before he does that, he's sort of laying the foundation for the fact that ourselves, we want to live for ourselves. He's actually giving us a, a beautiful and an, a crazy image of a king that is worthy of serving. So look at what he says in verse 15. We, this is the beloved son. We're talking about the beloved son. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So the Bible uses that phrase image in a handful of places. I think uh, Genesis, uh, we're made in the image and likeness of our creator, male and female. Adam was made, Adam and Eve were made in the image and likeness of God. We're being renewed after the image of God. We're going to talk about how the, the fullness of God was, uh, the, or Jesus is called the exact imprint of his nature. He is the image of God. So he's actually talking about Jesus or the son. He's talking about the son, the beloved son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. To make sense of that, we have to think about how the idea, you, how the Bible uses the word firstborn. So what does it mean that Jesus... I, keep, I'm gonna, I actually crossed out, and then I'll make this point. I crossed out Jesus and put the Son. Because we're, we're actually talking about the pre-incarnate eternal glory of the Son. We're talking about Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. One God that we worship. Three persons. Three distinct persons, one being, God himself. And he's talking about the firstborn of all creation. And I think when we, you know, it's just two words, firstborn, who was born first. But in, in the Bible, this, this idea of firstborn has sort of two, two connotations. It has the idea of first, just like it sounds, the, first pers- the firstborn, and it has this idea of uh, most glorious or most deserving or, or the head or the, uh, the one who is the most preeminent in a given Situation, And I thought uh, Psalm 87 was a good example, or Psalm 89 was a good example of how Scripture used this, this idea of, of firstborn. It says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings on earth. And what's interesting about Psalm 89 is it's referencing David. So if anyone knows anything about David, when they went to his dad and said, hey, we need a king, the king is going to come from your family line, and dad's like, okay, well, if it's coming from my line, I'm going to bring you like the best and the brightest. And he brings him his firstborn son and then kind of all the sons after that. And Samuel goes up to them and is like, hold on, someone is missing. Like the one who is to be the firstborn king, the one who is to be the highest of the kings of the earth, David himself, isn't here. And it was actually his lastborn son. 
They've, and he, he had to go get him because he was like, well, he for sure doesn't want the last one. So in this psalm, talking about this future David, talking about this idea of this king who would be the highest of the kings of the earth, would be the firstborn, there's this idea of preeminence there. There's this idea of the most glorious, the, the, the highest ranking person. So this idea of first, and there's this idea of rank and glory. So when it says that he is the image of the invisible God, back in Colossians, it gives us why he's the firstborn of all creation. Why is the son the highest rank? Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, whether dominions, whether rulers, whether authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Why is the son the king worth serving? because everything exists because of him. And I don't know if he could be more comprehensive. Heaven and on earth, up there or down here, visible or invisible. He's the exact image of God because he's God himself and nothing that exists, exists without him. We can celebrate Mother's Day today. We can long for this beautiful, wonderful thing called motherhood because the king we serve spoke that into existence. We can consider his glory. We can enjoy the beautiful weather. We can go to our favorite restaurant. We can go hiking. We can go bike riding. We can do all these wonderful and beautiful and amazing things because the king that we serve enabled us to exist. He is a king worthy of serving. Because by him, through him, all things were created. really puts um, a, quite the contrast when we think about our natural fallen impulse to serve ourselves. Like it's just, sin is, sin is not logical. We have to like come to terms with that. I desire to do the things I want to do because I think that I know best. Jesus is here saying, I am the son, I am the king that's worthy of serving because I spoke you into existence. I know best. And I still push back against that. I think uh, that adds sort of that tension right there. Um, kind of presents a problem already. We talk about if Jesus, if everything existed through the son, through the king that's worthy of serving, if everything existed through him, we already kind of feel like we have a problem. You know, when I, when I, when I say if, if that's true and that's who God is and that's what Jesus has done, why then deep down, why then deep down do I still reject that or struggle with that or wrestle with that? And I think if we know the whole story, we have our little, our little graphic, 
If we, if we know the whole story, oh, look, there is the label for where the graphic will go. <laughs> oh, that's great. I, I like that this is... Um, it's the beauty of that graphic is it's very simple. Down arrow, X, forward arrow, cross, forward arrow, down arrow. Creation, and what comes after creation? Fall. Things are broken. Oh, nice. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, we just read that before this down arrow was absolutely nothing but the Son and the Father and the Spirit. God existed before all things. That's why he is worthy of serving. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that because of the fall. There's a problem. There's something that still needs to be resolved. Our original parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against the true reality that God the Son was worth serving and said, no, I don't like the rules about the tree. I'm going to reject you and serve myself. And here we are today. And because of the fall, something as beautiful as motherhood and celebrating what God has done in creating life. Ladies, you can create life. Guys cannot do that. That's amazing. That's something that we should celebrate and be thankful for and praise God for what he's done in creation. It's good and beautiful and true. At the same time, this is my first Mother's Day without my mom. And that sucks. There are mothers who are no longer mothers because of the broken things in the world. Even throughout all of Scripture, there are examples of women who value and celebrate and are thankful for the gift of motherhood, and they desire that. And they don't have it. Jesus is a king worthy of serving because he created all things. Invisible, invisible, heavens and earth, everything. We exist because of him. But there's still a problem. There's still a need for a new creation. There's still a need for things to be made right. There's still another down arrow at the end of that graphic. And Jesus, the king who is worthy of serving, is worthy of serving because he's not just the firstborn of all creation. He is also the firstborn of the new creation. Look at what it says. Verse 17 I feel like it's just a capstone of the previous things. He's saying, but he is before all things. He exists. He is. He is before there was anything. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's actively sustaining our existence today. But he doesn't stop there. He goes, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead. He is the beginning. Jesus himself is a king worthy of serving. Amen. Because he is the beginning of a new creation. He's the firstborn from the dead. He is the most preeminent. He is the most glorious of anyone that will raise from the dead because of what he's accomplished. And he's first. And he is in heaven today with a resurrected body, a physical body, a new creation body that will only know the joys of creation and not the brokenness of the fall. That begins a new era where we only celebrate the good and the beautiful and the true. And anything that was ever wrong with the world is something that won't even be remembered. Jesus is a king worthy of serving because we exist because of him. But he is also the firstborn of the new creation. He's the one that solves all of the problems that exist today. That's why he says in everything he might be preeminent. In everything. The son was preeminent in creation and the son is preeminent in new creation. Who is more worthy than him? Who is more worthy than him? He goes on to say in verse 19, for in the son, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In the son, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's not just first rank in creation and new creation. He's God himself. He is our hope in heaven. He is where God is calling us to set our sights and our mind and our peace and our joy. He is God himself. Everything we know about Christ is knowing about our creator. Amen. Why is he so glorious? Why is he so worthy of serving? Why is he so majestic in the old and the new creation? Verse 20 says, Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus, the Son, the eternal Son of God, is the one who is going to restore all things. Jesus the Son is the one who is going to see everything that is wrong. Reconcile is this accounting term. It's our favorite time of the year of reconciling Intuit accounts with giving accounts and with Wells Fargo accounts. You're seeing gaps and you're restoring those gaps. So because Jesus is the king worthy of serving, because, he, uh, because everything exists because of him, because he is the, the firstborn of the new creation, 
He is the one who is in the position of authority as king to resolve all of those gaps. Whether that's as savior, restoring people to God, or as judge, ensuring perfect justice. In every sense, Jesus is gonna be the one to reconcile everything that is not right. I think Paul is trying to encourage the believers in Colossae, and we're we're saying that our uh, series is heavenly-minded for earthly good. And, And some commentators believe that he's writing this letter because he's concerned that they think other things will be worth serving. He's concerned that they'll, they'll go somewhere else to be effective here, as opposed to being heavenly minded, as opposed to, to um, realizing and dwelling in the good news of who Jesus is and what he's doing in them. And so he, he, he gives us this picture of, of this king who's worthy of serving, gives us this wonderful picture of Christ creating all things and bringing in the new creation. And he goes to remind us how we have been reconciled. He wants to encourage us with the good news that this king who loves us is working to reconcile us so that you and I could be in the very presence of God, so that you and I could enjoy the wonders and majesty and fullness of our creator, even though we fall short, even though we still want to serve ourselves. He reminds us of the good news of what Jesus has done. Look at what he says in verse 21. In you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled. Amen. 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 You who were once alienated and hostile in mind. Alienated and hostile in mind. You were once separated from God. We're all born that way. Thank you, Adam. You were once alienated from God, and worse than that, you weren't just separate from God, you hated him. Maybe you liked things that are related to God. I mean, who doesn't enjoy community? Maybe you like things that were related to God because they made you feel better. But at the end of the day, for those who are separated from God, deep down in our hearts, we still want to serve ourselves. And anytime God creeps in and says, I am creator, I am the one who's worthy to serve. This is what I desire. If anything goes against what we think deep down in here, we hate that. Yes, Lord. Apart from the work of Christ, apart from his reconciliation and transformation of our hearts. Look at how he describes this exact sort of scenario in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, and you were, again, the same situation, he's trying to encourage the Ephesian church on what God has actually done for us in reconciling us. He's like, remember who you once were, let me remind you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all, all of us, all of us once lived in the passions of our flesh, our desires, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Brutal. Everyone alienated from God without the reconciliating work of Christ because of the fall, everyone was born a child of wrath. That's why we have brokenness in the world. That's why things are hard. Because deep down we reject him. Deep down we don't want to be in his presence. We want him to be in ours. We push against that all over the place. This is the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus has reconciled that. He solved that problem. Look at what he says in Colossians. He's reminding us he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He's died a substitutionary death before us. Yes, we were children of wrath. And if he's going to reconcile things appropriately, justly, with justice, we should, we should receive the wrath that we deserve. And we did, in a sense, in the death of Christ. The wrath that we deserve for our rejection of God was poured out on Christ. That's why he says he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We have a king worthy of serving because it's the only king who can actually present us holy and blameless before God. Yes, Lord. Holy and blameless. If you have any ounce of honesty with yourself about your own sin, it probably seems like an insurmountable thing to change. When you wrestle with the things that God has called you to and your desire to jump into those things, to think that you could have joy doing nothing for yourself but everything for our great God and Savior, to think that that's possible has to make you say, no way. has to make you say, there's no way my desires could be reoriented from self-focused to serve God and my creator. And if you're thinking that, and if you're discouraged by that, there is no way, unless you have a king worthy of serving, (laughs) unless you have someone who spoke you into existence, unless you have someone who's begun the new creation, There's no way that's possible. But that's the beauty of what Jesus has done. He's done all those things in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He will succeed at that. What about this king makes you think that that's not possible for him? So what do we do with that? Do we just wait for him to work? 
right, well, I'm kind of messed up in here. I'm self-serving. Jesus is the king worthy of serving. I agree. He's awesome. He's done all these things. I exist because of him. Okay, I'm going to go sit down now, wait for him to change everything. My sarcasm probably makes you think that that we're not going to end there. Paul helps us out. How does that work for us? How does he actually change our desires to be less for self-serving and more for Jesus-serving? Verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith. If indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. It's interesting. So stable and steadfast and not shifting are sort of words that are describing what it means to continue in the faith. So continuing in the faith is sort of like the action thing, which is ethereal. So, but it helps us sort of like, okay, what does it mean to continue in the faith? And he says, stable and steadfast. And it's a, we're trying to translate words that are basically saying like building a construction. I, like, I mean, I'm going to fumble over this. It's like, it has to do with like constructing a building. It has to do with uh, like laying a foundation and setting stones and constructing. So not shifting from the face, but doing the construction work maybe is another way you could say that. So that's doing the construction work, not shifting from the hope. So those are like two things that describe what it means to be steady in the faith. Doing all the construction work and not shifting from the hope. And it's kind of, you know, we go back to verse one. What does it say? Because of the hope in chapter one, uh, what is that? Verse five, because the hope laid up for you in heaven. So there's this idea later on, we'll actually see um, in chapter three. Seek the things that are above, or Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above. So there's this idea that if we do the construction work and we don't shift from, we have faith, we have trust, we trust in the reality of these wonderful things that are laid up for us in heaven. God will actually begin to transform us so that we can be presented holy and blameless before him. So how do I not shift from the, from the faith? How do, I, how do I stay steadfast on, on, on so the sea transformation? I dwell on the things that are above. I build up my life and my thinking. I do the construction work of my life, not shifting from everything that Jesus has done and everything Jesus is. I stay focused on the glory and the majesty and the wonder of my creator who's made all of these wonderful, beautiful things to point back to him and my redeemer who has now made me holy and blameless and enables me to approach God himself. Say, how do I be transformed? I stay heavenly minded. How does the the sin that's deep down go from self-serving to Christ-serving? I focus on the God he has brought me to. 
last week I said something about um, my own struggle uh, with staying earthly minded and not heavenly minded is usually around schedules. I said something at our staff meeting to Kelsey about my schedule, something, something not good, and she's like, I feel like you just always say that. I'm like, okay, well, I do. <laughs> um, so what does it mean then in light of those struggles to stay heavenly minded? What does it mean then to not shift from the faith or the trust or the hope that I have set up for me in heaven in that particular situation? I think a lot of what God calls me to do in a given day is that wrecks, um, you know, I speak humanly, that wrecks my schedule is usually stuff that I haven't planned, is usually stuff coming from the outside. God has brought a situation into my life and said, here, my glorious king in heaven has brought me something and says, here's where I want you to serve today, Aaron. Yes, and I say, no, <laughs> I, oh, these were good things I had planned. This is where I'm serving today. And I reject that. It doesn't go so well for me. <laughs> He's saying, trust me. I've brought this situation into your life. I am all knowing. I am creating. You are held together because of who I am. And I've brought you this situation so that you could serve me, the only king worthy of serving. It's like he gently says, Aaron, get off your throne and come to me. I know better. I know better, and as a result of that, I'm going to draw you closer and closer to the glory and the majesty and the beauty of the creator, because that's what I'm here to do. I'm not bringing these things into your life just to make things worse for you. I'm bringing these things in your eyes and asking you to serve me so that I could have you experience more of the wonder and the beauty and the glory of God himself. And when I trust him and I don't shift from that trust and that glory that's set in heaven, he reveals himself. He encourages me. He gives me peace when I don't even know what's next on the calendar. I have that. And I want more of that. I don't want to have to have everything planned out to have a sense of peace. I want to have a sense and trust in God himself. Kelsey also said that he's just preparing me to have kids with foster care, so <laughs> there's that. Which I'm thankful for that preparation. Maybe not all the time. <laughs> it's hard. So Paul tells us, he encourages us to continue in the faith, doing all that construction work of not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we've heard. That's why Jesus is the king we're serving. Because unlike us, he is actually capable of bringing us in the presence of God. I like what Paul says at the end. He says, which has been proclaimed in all creation... This has gone out to the world under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul actually says, I became a deacon. I became a servant because of this gospel. God has reconciled me, someone who rejected everything about Jesus. Paul is a very vivid example of a child of wrath pushing against Jesus himself. 
and God said no, you are attempting to destroy my work and I'm just going to step in and reconcile you to me. And Paul went from hating and pushing back with all the religious garb, hating and pushing back against everything that Jesus wanted to do is building his kingdom to all of a sudden he's like, you know what? Because of this gospel, I've been reconciled. I'm now a servant. He's a wonderful example of how God changes us and draws us in to serve him. And if, if God could utterly reorient Paul's life from wanting to imprison Christians, and we don't know how far he was going, potentially was there during the stoning of one of the first deacons, which, man, that, that has to sit with him a little bit. I, if I was around for the stoning of the first deacon because I hated God and rejected him, now I'm a deacon and I serve. If God, our king, who's worthy of serving, can do that with Paul, what, what he can change anything in here. He can reorient us around serving our king and not serving ourselves. That's the power and beauty and majesty of the gospel. Amen. That's what Paul is saying. Don't veer from that. Build up your thinking. Do the construction work of considering our creator and what he's capable of doing and who he is. Because if that's where you focus, if you are heavenly minded, you're going to do earthly good. And he's going to go on in later parts of the letter to sort of give us examples of what it means to do earthly good. What does it mean to care for others? What does it mean to serve? What, what, is, on the, what is the agenda of our king as we serve him? And it's summed up in one word, love. Considering others more important than yourself, patience, kindness, faithfulness, joy. So when you're discouraged, when you're battling with the desire to serve self, maybe you should bracket the little section in your Bible and say, hey, there is someone worth serving. This is who I can dwell on in the heavenly realm. I exist because of him, and I have hope in the new creation because of him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the reality that Jesus is on his throne, ruling and reigning. He is a king who loves us and has died for us, but he's also a powerful king who because of him, we exist. Because of him, we continue to exist. And because of him, we have hope for a future existence without sin, without brokenness, without suffering, with joy in the presence of our creator. Lord, help us as we deal with all the things in this world. Help us to just stay focused on you. 
Help us to stay focused on the joy and the beauty and majesty of our creator and the, and the reality that you are a king worth serving because you are the one drawing us to you. Help us with that. In your name I pray, amen.